0: It's time for Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show about the crucial political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and the nation at large. Join us for a stimulating, thought-provoking discussion. You'll get the facts as we focus on the challenges facing everyone. Good morning, folks. Welcome again to Democratic Perspective. We have a really interesting guest today, uh, Chief Charles Houston, who's the chief of police of Sedona. Sedona went through, I don't know, like four chiefs and acting chiefs in, in several years, and then um, I believe in two thousand twenty, uh, hired uh, Charles Houston. He has thirty years uh, uh, chief of experience and is a police officer in Sacramento.
1: That's correct. And actually, I was—I I came on in April of
0: 2019.
2: 2019. I was say, uh, hi there, uh, gentlemen. This is Hava calling in from Phoenix. It's really nice to be here with you, especially on this topic. And uh, Chief Houston, you're celebrating actually this week—two years, yes?
1: Yes. This is uh, basically—I've I've met my two-year mark, and uh, looking forward to many
0: more. I think I think we're really glad to have the. The stability in department, I wanted to start with this sort of basic question. And what we found in 10 years of, uh, of this is just to, to start with that. How many officers, for example, what is the size of the Sedona Police Department?
1: Yeah, no problem, Stephen. We're, we're authorized strength of 27 police officers. We're currently too short, so we, we have 25, and we're, we're actually in a hiring process for uh, Currently, trying to identify and, and, and hire some candidates.
0: How many uh, women are, are are police officers? People ask me.
1: So we uh, out of our uh, twenty-seven strength, we have five. So currently, we, out of twenty-five, because like I said, we're too short, uh, we have five uh, female uh, sworn employees. Uh, w- one of which is a, a lieutenant. Uh, another a, a sergeant. And three other uh, women are uh, patrol officers.
0: The other thing is people ask me um, what is the training of of officers and what do you look for when you hire a police officer in Sedona? I think things have changed over the years I've been here since 2003 what do you look for? What is their training? What's their background uh, when you look for officers for Sedona? Because Sedona is a particular place; it's not exactly a high crime zone up here.
1: Yeah, that's that's absolutely right. So when I when I first got here, that was that was one of the first things that uh, I started to dive into was our selection process, and you know I quickly came to realize that, um, and I knew this based on you know prior police experience, but. Uh, you know, you really, really need certain types of officers to work Sedona. And, and you know, the one of the examples I give uh, is, you know, when you think about school resource officers, not every police officer is a good school resource officer. And and so the same holds true. Not Just because you're a great police officer, say, in Phoenix or Sacramento or Cottonwood or, or wherever else doesn't mean that you're necessarily going to be great for Sedona so, so initially started to tackle the, the selection process and, and infuse myself in, in the front end of it. So after, after our candidates go through interview panels, uh, once the, the panels give me the, the top number, it depends on how many candidates we're looking for but usually and also how many people apply but usually I'm trying to get the top three or five It just really depends on how it all plays out. And then I sit down with each one of those before we even consider moving forward because I'm really looking for people who are the right fit for our great city. And it, it you know, it's really comes down to uh, you know, the fundamentals of, of their heart, uh, who they are as human beings, how do they look at society uh, just from a, a, a citizen's perspective versus a you know, police officer lens, and really figure out fundamentally who they are as human beings. And just make sure that aligns with what we're trying to accomplish with Sedona as far as building relationships, having patience, uh, working in collaboration with our community, and, 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 and trying to solve problems long term.
0: Um, yeah, I think that uh, Sedona, a lot of the complaints, I suppose, I, I'll, all right, I, I'll tell you a story. So we, we have open studios it has been around for 10 years, and uh, you go around to the artist studios. And um, one of our signs that led to the neighborhood that would send people up to our studios, a colleague and I, we were there, disappeared. We couldn't find it. We put out the signs every morning. We pick them up every afternoon. Uh, the sign just utterly disappeared. Couldn't find it across the street. I went and double-checked. Still couldn't find it. Um, one of your officers returned it on Sunday. I guess it had blown out on the road, but for us it was totally baffling, and uh, it certainly wasn't something that we would call the uh, uh, the police about. But um, people call, and and when I look at the uh, police procedures, a lot of it is loud noises, um, you know, aggressive driving, and so forth, and so on. How do you know when it's appropriate to call 911 and when it's really just um, you know, like somebody hanging on the edge of your property or something?
1: Yeah, no, that's a good question. And if I could, I I did miss you, – you did ask me earlier about the officer's training, so I'll get to that.
0: Oh, yeah, just go back but, to that.
1: Yeah, but I just wanted to let you know, wh- when we do select officers and, and bring them in, if they're not a lateral police officer, for example, meaning that they have police experience elsewhere and their credentials – transfer over. They don't need to go to the academy. Uh, we we utilize the Northern Arizona Regional Training Academy, which is housed in Prescott. And it's a 20-week program encompassing 800 hours of training. And then once they, the candidates graduate, they come out and then they go through a field training process. So that's to complete that idea of how do you become a police officer uh, here in Sedona. That's That's the process. And then to get to your question about but when do you call? I mean, that's, that, that is a tough one. I mean, the, the easy answer with respect to 911, if there's a crime in progress or a, a, some type of emergency, uh, in progress, 9-1-1, that's a no-brainer. But the, those kind of tweeners of, well, it's a noise complaint. It's, you know, it's not, it's not, uh, you know, that level of significance. It's, uh, my sign. I can't find my sign. So what, what do you do? And so with respect to incidents that are happening, such as a noise complaint, I, I encourage folks to call our non-emergency number because ultimately, you know, we, we can go out there and try to mitigate the situation, um, you know, try to, to find out, is there a bigger problem at issue? And, and sometimes, you know, a, a simple, say, loud loud noise or loud party complaint actually might be a domestic violence type situation. And so you so you really don't know necessarily what's going on behind people's closed doors, and well, so we encourage see, people to call our non-emergency. Calls,
2: a but non-emergency specific call to when
1: they call that number, I'm sorry, I got some feedback.
2: Am I'm I sorry, it, it's Hava, I, I'm, and, and if it just gets too much that with me on the line, you guys can't hear me, I will certainly bow out. But uh, Chief, my question was, you said if perhaps there's a noise complaint, they can call the non-emergency number. What what does that do? What who answers that
1: call? So, not, so it's still our dispatch, but it, it it goes into queue, so it doesn't jump in front of 901 emergency in progress type right. calls. And so it still goes to dispatch. Dispatch uh, asks a, a lot of different questions to try to really kind of figure out, is, is it a party? Is it maybe a fight? Is it a domestic violence? I mean, it, you know, just to kind of figure out. And, you know, sometimes you have habitual locations that, You know, we have to look at other other approaches involving code enforcement of the city attorney things, things of that nature to 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 figure out how do we how do we solve these things long term. Um, But specific to the sign example, Stephen, you know, those are those are tough because, you know, it was it stolen. Well, it turns out it wasn't. But at the time, you didn't know that. So, um, you know, I do encourage people to report crime, if they believe a crime is committed, because that helps us with our stats. It helps us understand what's happening within the community. Is, is there a certain amount of theft? Is it a certain type of theft? You know, these, these sorts of things. And it's not, it's not terribly difficult for us to go back and to unfound that incident. So let's say you had called the police. You guys searched the neighborhood, couldn't find the site. You had called, made the report for a theft. We filed a report. And then a couple of days later, somehow the officer uh, finds a sign or somebody gives the officer the sign to return. And we realize, oh, it wasn't stolen. It blew down the street. Well, then we can go back and we can we can unfound that police report and just and and just make it as if there was no theft, because it wasn't. It just it just blew down the street.
0: So what is the number for non-emergency calls, Chief, and how would people find it? Because I know we're going to tell them what the number is here on the radio, but that's probably going to yeah. go in one ear and out the other. How can they find that number? They don't want to call 911. It's not yeah. that serious. It's yeah. a noise complaint. There's a party and at the Airbnb next door and it's you know 10:30 and and should you call the police or should you wait or uh, people don't know people are uh, are not police officers
1: yeah absolutely and so the, the first piece is our our website so the city of Sedona website which is sedonaaz.gov and and then you can scroll down to the police department and our phone numbers are listed there the, the non emergency number is area code 928 928- 282 3100. We're actually in the process of, of trying to update our pages. Our, our web pages haven't been updated in a while, and so there's some, some information in there that, that needs to be rectified. But the basic phone numbers and such are, are accurate. But specific to, I mentioned Airbnb, so short term rentals, and you know, uh, I think everybody understands that the proliferation of short term rentals in our small city. And and with it does come some concerns for uh, neighbors that, that live live in Sedona full-time with respect to noise or trash or crowds and so forth. And so I believe it was early last year. It might have been the end of 19, but I think it was early 20. Our city partnered with a third party to help provide a 24-hour hotline for specific to short-term rentals, And and there's some information on the uh, city webpage with respect to, um, you know, what are the rights of community members, what, you know, what, what to do, who to call. And so I would encourage folks to, to look at that information as well and utilize that hotline. Uh, but, you know, ultimately if, if, if it's nine o'clock at night and you're, you know, disturbed by something that's going on in progress, then I encourage people to call our, our non emergency number. That, that allows us to, to, like I said, go out, try to mitigate the situation so that the the complainant, uh, you know, if there is in fact a level of noise that's disruptive, then we can try to try to eliminate that for them so that they can enjoy the peace of their community. But some of the long term uh, situations, such as there was noise last night, this thing's not currently under underway, then then utilizing the hotline is important because. That information can be tracked, and the cities in the process of trying to work with owners, short-term rental owners, to try to make sure that they're managing their properties effectively.
0: Yeah, because the problems that we hear the most about are Airbnbs and the long-term effect, and it's probably not much your officers can do about it. ATVs, loud ATVs, yeah. uh, another problem constant complaint that we hear and the other is of course traffic so those are the, the issues that uh, that me that circulating in the community that i hear the most of and um, one question was uh, and i don't want to get too far down the traffic uh, question well uh, was... i have a
2: question on, the, on that note that uh, that a, a listener wrote in with so if you want to go
0: with that question, but go ahead. Well, I did have an, I did have a, a, a a question that was submitted to me and I thought it was a certain, anyway, let me, I won't comment on the question, but the question was why are the, uh, the, the police cars in Sedona black when uh, the sheriff's department, everybody is switching to white cars, which would seem to make more sense in our hot environment.
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know one that that the sheriff's department necessarily is, switching completely to white. Um, you know, there, there's there's really no specific reason why the cars are black. Uh, the cars were, were black with the Sedona PD graphics when I arrived in Sacramento, which is also in the summer a community that gets pretty hot. All of our police cars were black. You see throughout the state, you see DPS has silver. Other other police agencies use green cars. There's white cars. I mean, it's a, I don't have a specific purpose that. that that they're black because of this reason, Um, you know, it just, they are what they are. And and at this point, uh, you know, changing the color of the car would would incur quite an expense because the cars actually come from the factory black, and then we apply the graphics. And so, uh, you know, changing them out would be uh, cost prohibitive. Uh, I suppose at some point we could transition to a different color car, but that would take a number of years because you try to buy cars that are going to last uh for you know five seven years and and so they realistically uh you know I, I i suspect that our cars have been black ever since um for many many years
0: they're black because they've always been black essentially
1: yeah. Yeah. <laughs> basically I, it's just a, it, it's, 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 it's not a question of any specific reason it's just they are.
0: It's a question that never would have occurred to me, but since, uh, since one of our listeners asked me, I thought I would bring it to you. No, been-
2: another. Do you mind, Steve? This is a really interesting listener question, because you brought up traffic, um, and of course, you know, geez, we've got such a, a, a huge problem with traffic, with tourists in town. One of our listeners asked if it's possible to run SoCal freeway traffic breaks to make an impact on multi-lane highways in town.
0: Say that again, Hava, because I didn't. I didn't really get it.
2: So, uh, did you understand, Chief? You know, the, talking about I, running a SoCal freeway traffic break. I don't know what I, that I is. I
1: did, and Hi. you know, coming from California and where we have big interstates, um, you know, probably 10, uh, 5, down in SoCal. You know, the reality is, is those are multi-lane, high-speed uh highways where you could safely run a traffic break and so nationally what that is you you can see potentially on 17 for example where the speeds are up to you know what 70 75 miles an hour and so dps could uh, basically slow the traffic down by by slowing down to a much slower speed and kind of moving back and forth to ensure that that nobody passes but to let the traffic know that we need to we need to slow down. We need to let the congestion up ahead clear up or, you know, whatever the situation may be. And in essence, that's that's what a traffic break is. Within town on, on uh, 89A or 279, those are not high speed uh, roadways. A traffic break really, I, I think, would be more unsafe than anything else. You have uh, the center lane that people are trying to turn from one side to the other. Uh, you know, I, I don't think that that would really be a safe effective way of eliminating or alleviating the traffic there's no question that we have traffic congestion one of the things that that I did recently and I hadn't thought of it because you know the the traffic lights for example that's not my my purview we you know police department we don't really get involved in the actual traffic signals but I had a I had a neighbor write me recently asking if I could a police officer at every intersection, lighted, I should say, traffic lighted intersection along 89A, switch the lights to blinking and have the officer uh, do traffic control. And so basically trying to, you know, let the congestion go when maybe there's, you know, for longer periods of time when there isn't cross traffic and these sorts of things. Well, you know, it's, it's I understand the kind of, the foundation of the idea. I mean, it's, it's impractical. I don't have the, the staffing capacity to, to do such a, such a feat, but, you know, get to get to thinking about the, the, the traffic lights. So I reached out to our public works uh, in, in concert with ADOT because ADOT actually is in control of those traffic lights. And so they're looking at the sequencing of the, the lights on 89A to help make it as efficient as possible Ultimately, is it going to solve the problem? Probably not, because we have a lot of people coming to our community to to, to visit Sedona. Uh, but yeah, it, I, but it, traffic but complaints.
0: Uh, somebody uh, did ask me, a listener asked me, why aren't there officers at the um, downward, the Y used to be, and the traffic circles? Couldn't there be an officer or someone directing the traffic around the circles? Because they seem to be clogging up. Uh, according to the listener, for for no visible reason or because uh, not everybody understands the rules of traffic circles.
1: Yeah, there and there again, you know, part of that comes down to capacity, right? Having having staff to be able to do such a thing, but then also the traffic the traffic circles are intended uh, to do their job. The, the I think you hit the nail on the head. Is is some people. Come to town; they've never seen a traffic circle like that. I, I'll be honest with you: when I when I came to uh, Arizona two years ago, uh, I'd never seen traffic circles in that kind of configuration, and it took me a while to figure out what I'm supposed to do. So I don't create a wreck or anything like that. Uh, but but actually having staff to be able to to uh, direct traffic in such situation, it wouldn't just be one person uh because you'd have to probably need four or five people around that circle to kind of in concert move people around. And that's just it's just not practical and I don't think it'd be safe actually. Um, you know, so again, we have to look at some other uh other means of trying to trying to mitigate traffic uh, along our thoroughfares. Uh and it's you know, if you look at Sedona in motion plan which is was in progress before I got here, I mean there's just a lot of different elements uh that, that deal with environmental, uh, you know, putting in roadways, expanding roadways, putting in uh, sidewalks that people can walk safely and and so
0: forth. Uh, We're getting uh, complaints. Uh, I think there are three new hotels planned in Sedona, and people don't want any more hotels. Uh, yeah. I, I I think Chief that th- this year really reached the peak of complaints about traffic, and I know that that's not exactly, you know, major crime stuff, but that that is where a lot of the frustrations are. Other frustrations are why can't you regulate ATVs? Why can't you do something about the noise? Aren't there noise regulations for these vehicles? And they're you know they're louder than trucks.
1: Yeah, no, no, absolutely. I, I get the frustration behind the noise and the, the ATVs and and our uh, city attorney is looking hard at the the city's noise ordinance and working in concert with code enforcement and also uh, with us to, to try to try to figure out what's a more appropriate noise ordinance for our city. Um, you know, it, again, it's it's I I get the frustration behind the 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 congestion and the traffic. One of the things that we're trying to do, you know, and and ultimately I'll say this is enforcement doesn't solve the problem. Enforcement helps to regulate the issues and helps to try to keep the the unsafe driving uh, in in check, but it doesn't solve the problem. But nonetheless, we need to be able to enforce traffic uh, situations effectively. So. Yes, it might take you 20 minutes to get from one side of 89A to the other, but as long as you do it safely, it's better than than having, you know, unsafe drivers on the road. So we, even though we're struggling with our staffing, we're too short, uh, as as I mentioned earlier, uh, we have uh, reestablished our motor officer program, and so we had had an officer trained uh, end of last year uh, to ride the motor and, and the GOHS, the Governor's Office of Highway Safety, was um, very generous recently in improving us for the purchase of a new motorcycle so that our officer can can do the job safely and effectively. But also, they they offered to purchase an uh, all-electric motorcycle as well, so that we can start to transition into more electric, hybrid type of motoring and and also, part of our long-term plan is to create a second, uh, a specifically assigned motor officer, traffic enforcement, traffic safety, education type person, that that will help us try to again address some of the unsafe activities with with the speed and the uh, distracted driving, DUIs, of course, and so forth.
0: Let's let's turn to. Um and, and I have still have a lot of questions on this area because these are the, the areas that really concern uh, Sedonans. And um, and the level of frustration has been really growing this year, and uh, you hear it wherever you are. Uh, there were two police-involved shootings in the last couple of years. What are the rules on that? And before the, the first shooting that we talked about before we started the program, there hadn't been any police-involved shootings in Sedona's history.
1: Yes, and and so in January of twenty, on Martin Luther King's birthday, we had our first of uh, Sedona's history police shootings uh, in Coconino County, just in a in a neighborhood that's uh, more or less behind Talakipaki, and then uh, our second, unfortunately, was this last December up, up at the airport. Um, you know, specific to you had asked me earlier about. Uh, an incident that occurred in the village of Oak creek i don't know what their history is that you know as we know is not the city of sedona uh, i don't know what they've had or not had in in that area as far as history wise um, but those are those are two incidents that occurred in 20 uh, that never occurred before in sedona's history
0: what are the rules or procedures? I, I understand you put out a new procedure manual that that uh, forbids chokeholds and so forth and so on. Uh, yeah. What are the procedures for that? There's, uh, uh, the frankly, the press stories about the incident up at the airport are kind of baffling. People are grabbing an airport vehicle and they're driving all around the property. Uh, police come and try to stop them. They run. Um, they uh, one policeman tries to arrest a, a, a fellow, and it gets into a a fight. Uh, he, uh, uh, his non lethal stuff he's using doesn't work, and uh, I don't think anybody was hurt in that. But but the, the but the gun was discharged. The officer's gun was discharged,
1: right? It was, and so I mean that's a that's a big question. So um, so basically, when it comes to use of force, the the, the standard in our country is objectively reasonable. And that's based on a uh, Supreme court case, Graham versus O'Connor. And that's, that's basically the floor. That's the foundation. Um, but specific to officer involved shooting, you know, you have, you have the, the threat of uh, deadly force or, or serious bodily injury um, that, you know, that an officer uh, believes in that incident, that he or she, uh, you know, is potentially, at risk for that or uh, another member of the community that they the officer believes objectively reasonable that they have to take action. Specific to the airport, we're still waiting. I've I've gotten word that the Department of Public Safety investigation is more or less complete. I've not seen it yet um, but I'm waiting for the 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 debrief of that so I can fully understand you know what happened. But but I've talked to the investigators, I've talked to one particular witness at the airport, and I, I can't tell you why uh, the the person, his last name is Bergman, why he uh, acted the way he did. You know, we our officers had initially detained the three individuals in the front parking lot of the Sedona Airport after being called up there that that the three had stolen a airport truck, had gotten on the air on the tarmac, uh, were milling around a. a a plane that was parked out there. And so, you know, our officers had those three people detained, and then out of the blue, Berksman took off running, which our officers gave chase, or one of our officers gave chase. And when when confronted uh, by the officer, Berksman attacked him and tried to take away his less lethal shotgun, and then as the officer tried to uh, retain custody of that weapon, because in essence it is a real shotgun. It just happens to be loaded with, Beanbag rounds that are intended to, uh, you know, not do much harm to somebody to try to gain compliance. And, and through that, that altercation, uh, Bergsman, the officer, fell to the ground. The officer at that point was on his back with Bergsma on top of him. And so the officer, fearing for his life, tried to, uh, pull his, his service weapon, which then Bergsma started to try to take that away from him. And, and so it's, a very intense situation. Uh, the officer managed to fire one round uh, towards Bergsma It it did hit his abdomen, but but not a significant injury at all. And Bergsma continued to fight with the officer, trying to gain control of that weapon. Again, we don't know what the mindset of Bergsma was. Was he gonna intending to get that firearm and kill the officer? I mean, it sure seemed that way based on circumstances, but 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 we don't know, right? He didn't tell us.
0: All these and, events are but, investigated, right, Chief? I mean, when there's yeah. an officer-involved shooting, there's all, they're always investigated. Who yeah. who investigates the the incident?
1: So we we we've used the Department of Public Safety (DPS). Uh, they they they're a statewide agency. They have the capacity. They have a the unit that specifically is trained for uh, officer-involved shootings. And so, you know, we don't have the capacity to. Do our own, and, and honestly, in, in today's world, it's better to have uh, a third party to, to conduct investigations. When I was when I was in Sacramento, I was a detective uh, for a number of years, and, and you know, large agencies. So we investigated our own Austin ball shootings, and in that situation, it, it worked fine because there were several other layers of of assessment uh, that was not just specific to the police department. You had the DA's office, you had other groups that that would review to make sure you had an unbiased and just factual investigation. Um, you know, but we don't have, we'll, we'll, never have the capacity in Sedona to, to be able to investigate our own, nor at this point, like I said, in our world, nor would I want to, it's just better to have a, a, an outside agency, uh, you know, do the investigation, gain the facts and figure out what happened.
0: Um, there's an incident. Your officers were not involved, but I wanted to ask you about the procedures and rules for it. And someone, a woman who's very well known in Sedona, member of the Rotary, um, I I talked to her in the dog park. Uh, my wife had long conversations with her, um, was down in the, the Village Oak Creek. and uh, And she was waving a gun around and screaming and yelling. And the officers arrived and... And she was um, shot and killed. What are the rules for that i mean is she is she just waving a run if she doesn 't fire the weapon what what are the procedures i guess and the rules for those of us who don 't understand how how this kind of police work is done exactly
1: well and and you know i 'll just preface it by saying i don 't know all the the specifics of uh, what happened with Wendy? You know, I, I probably know as much as you know, based on uh, the news reports and so forth. Uh, I've not seen the investigation, nor have I uh, talked with the sheriff of the, the, the specifics uh, of it. Um, but I will say this: there, you know, there, there's this kind of idea of waffle but awful, right? And you know, you have you have a person, uh, whether it's Wendy or whoever, that has uh has a deadly weapon, a firearm specifically in this example, pointed at a police officer. So the officer has to make a decision. He or she, one, doesn't know what the person's intent is, right? And that's where you hear this idea of suicide by cop. Is you know, did the person really intend to shoot the officer or were they they really intended they wanted to commit suicide but couldn't bring themselves to shooting themselves. You know, it's just it's it's such a finite situation because you know the officer has a right to uh protect himself or herself and and the community and uh you know to to delay uh can can create you know more danger for others so it's just it's one of those things that it really has to be a case-by-case situation i don't know why wendy lowered her firearm and pointed at the officer did she intend to shoot at them i i don't know i would certainly hope not you know uh, Wendy was one of the, the, her, her and her husband, Dave, were one of the first people that I met, uh, coming to Sedona. We're, my wife and I actually were going to go on vacation with them and it got canceled because of COVID. And so, uh, you know, she was a, she was a community friend of ours and, and, and her actions, uh, I mean, just completely did not seem like the same person, uh, that I knew. But again, um, you know, you, People, people find themselves in situations, whether it's under the influence of different substances or their mindset, something in their life changes, and they, they act out in a way that's not consistent with what we know. It, you know again, I don't, uh, I don't know the specifics as far as the investigation goes, um, but I know that uh, you know, being on the other side where, where you're, you are the police officer, you're trying to get somebody, for example, to put a gun down, and to cooperate and and to comply with the commands and and then they choose to point it in your direction, you know that's that's an individual situation that that an officer has to decide in a mere, you know, less than a second. What what do they do? Do they do they perceive that threat as a deadly threat? And you know somebody points a gun at you, you presume it's loaded, and why wouldn't you perceive that as a deadly threat? And you know so. The, the procedures are, you know, the investigation is going to occur after it happens. Uh, but I, I, you know, I, I wish I knew why this, why Wendy uh, was acting the way that she was acting. But, I, I, you know, honestly, I don't think any of us really will know.
0: It was yeah, a real so shock on that to the note,
1: community.
2: If you let me jump in, I, I have a question about that call, which sounds like it was a domestic violence call or just a noise disturbance. The family was being loud. I wanted to jump into. How you feel about using other agencies for answering these calls? You know, using the nine one one call center. We talked to, um, do not remember this call? We talked to uh, the sheriff of Maricopa County, who talked about um, funneling mental health calls through um, Spectrum. You know, Cottonwood Phoenix, uh, or excuse me, Cottonwood Police, are using the service. Um, are you using any? Um, are you funneling any calls that are non-violent uh, or non-criminal through anything that could could take take cops off these calls and reduce the possibility of, of you know, people being shot?
1: Yes, absolutely. We we do utilize Spectrum as well uh, throughout the Verde Valley and even on the other side of Mingus. Uh, you know, it's a, a great partnership that we have that uh, uh, Sheriff Masher, I believe, was uh Kind of one of the originators with, in, in collaboration with Spectrum to create uh, the crisis response. I don't know the full history of it, but uh, absolutely, we do utilize uh, Spectrum uh, such as Cottonwood does, and I would imagine Camp Bernie Marshall, uh, Clarkdale, PD, uh, YCSO, and so forth.
0: So um, I think that I'll, I'll read um, from uh, the Police report blotter, and I think Hav is going to have a question for because of the kind of thing. So um, when I read just the headline, it it this is for March fourteenth, for example, uh, the report: trespassing, harassment, trespassing, stalking for domestic uh, and domestic violence, drugs, uh, harassment, trespassing, drugs, lost property, death, uh, natural causes. A fraud, shoplifting, I um, a, a, a believe a, a woman driving through town in, in a 35 mile an hour zone at 74 miles an hour. And these kind of baffling, but it, it does happen. Um, Short term rental, noise, noise, um, DUIs trespassing suspicious person what's the most common offense or what's the most common issue that officers are called for
1: well it, it really kind of ebbs and flows but uh, you hit some of them on the head so trespassing we do get a fair amount of trespassing calls disorderly conduct calls uh fraud calls for you know unfortunately we you know we do service and older community. I think the median age at some point was reported at 58 years and older. Yeah. Uh, but, but even, you know, uh, older than that. And so, you know, some of our neighbors um, are targeted with fraud. So we do get a fair amount of those types of calls. And then we talked a little earlier regarding noise complaints. And, you know, a lot of it has to do with quality of life and concerns that, that people have uh, with respect to whatever's occurring on their property uh, within their space, for example, that uh, they don't want to tolerate. They want it, they want it addressed. And, and so those are those are predominantly the types of calls. There's a fair amount of theft calls, but, again, these are ebbs, They ebb and flow, uh, DUIs you mentioned, uh, domestic violence as well.
0: Some of the speeding is hard to understand, but I, I, one of them I left out was stranded hikers. So I think HAVA has a question of, Given these kind of, um, you should call them offenses, given these kind of offenses, do you need police officers to go there, or could you have an alternative service, an, uh, an unarmed service, uh, social work-oriented, uh, mental health-oriented, going to these calls? Hava? Well,
1: certainly some yeah. some of them you, <laughs> we, we could. I asked
0: you a question for you. I'm sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely, and, and, and potentially some of them. But when you talk about crimes in progress, um, you know, that's somebody's calling to have maybe uh, someone trespass from their property. And so, in essence, you know, they're saying somebody's committing a crime on my property. You know, that's not something you send a social worker to do because they're not authorized to take enforcement action should the person – uh, opt not to leave. Uh, but, but, certainly but what if they're unarmed? The... What's up?
2: What if they're unarmed? Like it's a homeless person, um, someone just doesn't look in their right mind.
1: Well, again, yeah, I mean, I, 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 cert- I come from a, a jurisdiction where we, we work in collaboration, partners hand-in-hand with social workers, but it was really geared more towards mental health-type calls mm-hmm. where you didn't have a a crime in progress necessarily, you know, uh, having a mental health, uh, crisis or challenges is not a crime in essence. And, and so that's, that's what I'm accustomed to here. It's about building that capacity to, you know, spectrum, um, from what I can understand is they don't have a the capacity to assign a mental health uh, professional to our department on a daily basis throughout our shifts. But certainly that's something that as we, as we grow as an organization, to budget for and to plan for uh, potentially having a, a social worker type person on staff. One of the things that, that we started looking at in uh, towards the end of '19 is victim ad- advocacy. And so to try to maybe find someone that that could help with the victim adv- advocacy, but then also uh, could we could we train that person, have that person have an expertise to help out with the uh, non-criminal-related calls, the mental health challenges and and so forth.
0: Hava, we've got four minutes. Do you have another question for uh, Chief Husted?
2: Oh, boy. Well, the question that I have, you guys, we can't even scratch the surface of, you know, as an abolitionist, I would love to go down a whole bunch of different roads with this. And so, really, I don't have... Love to get into the whole idea of, of getting rid of police, but I really love the idea of dona getting into more crisis assistance. But I will ask a question about domestic violence, Chief. This is an issue that's a quiet issue. I know you've worked uh, with some of the local people on some specific cases. I want to get your feedback on how the city is dealing. With Police, in particular, with
0: the domestic violence issue in Sedona. Chief, yeah, uh, the you know, time's running out, so uh, uh, you've got like two and a half minutes, time I'll, to answer this I'll, question.
1: I'll try to. I'll try to be fast. And, and you know, domestic violence is a very serious, serious situation, and that's that's one of the crimes that is very difficult to prevent uh, because typically you don't know it's happening until it's happening, and uh, we, you know, it. We've reached out to the different state organizations that focus on domestic violence, and, and we've talked with some of our, our local um, community-based organizations to figure out how do we how do we get more involved in, in trying to prevent domestic violence uh, from occurring without having to react in the long run, and 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 then also how do we better the process, and that's why we started the conversation about victim advocacy and how do we better support. Uh, domestic violence victims, and 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 try to make sure. Okay, it's happened once, but let's let's do everything we can to to help ensure that it won't happen again. Uh, and then you know you you know having the cycle of violence, unfortunately, a lot of people they go back to to unhealthy situations, and so it's just it is very very challenging. But we can't give up. We got to keep working working together collaboratively to try to figure out some solutions and and response and and uh, as much prevention as we possibly can imagine.
0: Yeah, I've lived uh, uh, near situations where police get called over and over again for domestic violence. It can be a dangerous call. I have a couple of of announcements, and uh, League of Women Voters has a program on uh, Thursday, April 29th. It's on Zoom from 6 to 7.30. And they'll be interviewing the head of the Dr. Erica Newberg, who's the chair of the Independent Redistricting Commission. And then the League of Women Voters has another meeting on Monday, May 10th. You can find all this information on the Democrats of the Red Rocks website, but it looks like the the League of Women Voters is doing some really interesting uh, programs. Um, The Door Film Club uh, is sponsoring Borat Subsequent Movie Film. It's very, very funny. I want to thank Steve Segner and El Portal for supporting our program. Thank you very much for being with us, folks. BVID.org. You've been listening to Democratic Perspective, brought to you by the Verde Valley Independent Democrats, a weekly talk show focusing on the political issues facing the Verde Valley, Sedona, Northern Arizona, and our nation at large. Catch us every Monday morning after the 8 a.m. news right here on AM 780 KAZA. It's beautiful out there, folks. Have a great day.